Welcome to the Clear the Shelf podcast with Chris and Chris, the show that meets at the intersection of education and entertainment to discuss online arbitrage, retail arbitrage, wholesale, and all facets of selling on Amazon. We'll bring you news, tactics, strategies, insights, stories, and interviews to help you grow your Amazon business. And now, here are your hosts, Chris Grant and Chris Racing. What is going on and welcome to another week of the Clear the Shelf podcast with myself, Chris Grant, and my distinguished co-host, Chris Rasick. Uh, this week, we've got a, a guest who I'm excited to interview and see what kind of secrets and maybe even skeletons we can uh, get him to reveal. Uh, he goes by Oliver Flips on social media, on Twitter, uh, and is a, an especially great follow over there. So I would highly suggest that you go uh, follow him over on Twitter. Uh, we've got some questions that we will throw his way, and I'm sure we're going to end up traipsing down some rabbit trails uh, kind of as the conversation evolves. So, uh, Joseph, I appreciate you, I appreciate you uh, chilling with us this week. It should be, uh, should be a fun episode. Uh, but first, before we get into the episode, we probably should talk about a little bit of news. Uh, I thought that last week's news was going to be pretty big with the uh, fulfillment fee going up a little bit. But this week, uh, the drama, uh, the tea uh, that's been spilled is even bigger, I think. So PharmaPax is obviously the biggest story uh, on Amazon this week. Uh, it's a company that did something like $48 million in sales, uh, mostly on Amazon, in the month of January. And they're going belly up. Uh, in 2018, they raised $32.5 million in debt. Then in 2020, they were valued at over $1 billion. It was like $1.1 billion. Uh, and they raised another $250 million in funding. Uh, as e-commerce kind of skyrocketed through the pandemic, uh, they needed even more capital for what they have as a low, or what they had, uh, is a low margin business. And they also decided that they were going to try to go public via a SPAC uh, or a special purpose acquisition company. Uh, for those of you who are not in the know, uh, but don't worry, I had to Google that too, uh, which included another $180 million in private investment. Now, once they did that, they had to disclose their financials publicly because, you know, the SEC and all that. Uh, and so we got to see that from 2018 to 2020, they made a whopping $120 million in losses on their balance sheet, uh, not $120 million in profit. Uh, they estimate that they were actually going to be profitable by 2024, which to me actually sounds a bit optimistic. Uh, you can call me a cynic if you want, but uh, it seemed, uh, seemed like they were overshooting that there a little bit. Uh, in February 2022, things still looked good for them. They reported, they reported $1.6 million in revenue per day in January of 2022, uh, and they discussed plans to open up a 330,000-square-foot warehouse in, in California, but then things kind of fell apart. Uh, the SPAC deal was no more, and people speculate uh, that the investment bankers probably are the ones who backed out of the deal. Uh, what we don't know is, was it the financials that were in shambles that made them pull out? Uh, was it shady business practices? Uh, there are some people who think their inventory probably came from a lot of gray market uh, goods. 
uh, or was it something else? Unfortunately, we're probably never going to know. I highly doubt the uh, the CEO of uh, of PharmaPax is going to come out with a tell-all book. Uh, but we do know that their example of running a business on extremely slim margins, uh, they were possibly the original price tankers. Uh, it's not only difficult, but it very well may have been the nail in PharmaPak's coffin. Um, so I would highly suggest that if, you, if you're interested, go out and read as much as you can about this because I think it's a, a lesson for all of us. And uh, I'm curious if, if you guys have any thoughts on, on what went down. Got a lot of thoughts on what went down. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, my uh, first question is, uh, will Jared Leto star in the Apple movie like he did the, the WeWork <laughs> movie? I'd, I'd love to, uh, to see the, uh, the, the cinema version of this. Um, now, th- this is, uh, is pretty surprising. You know, it, it's weird that like th- this kind of follows uh, the, the high-profile startup recipe you know the ones that that don't get off the ground you know it it, it, because it's funny like you know taking on all these losses and estimated to be profitable in a couple years yeah that's usually what startups that you know are are trying to get going and and when they're raising rounds of funding and stuff that you know it's it's a different type of business it's weird that it's this is in the 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 retail the the e-commerce space right like i don't you know, it'd be one thing if it was, you know, a, a business that was getting ready to launch, you know, but this is a, a business that, you know, w- was deep in the trenches of e-commerce, you know, and, and um, you know, already had their sales going, had their inventory. I mean, they were up and running. So it, it's it's bizarre to see some of these terms used for a company like this. Um, but yeah, one point six million dollars a day at one point in sales, uh, which and it, so if Amazon is Amazon makes almost $300,000 in revenue per minute. So Amazon just lost a company that was responsible for like five full minutes of, of an average sales day. So <laughs> who knows what they're going to do? They must be scrambling. Yeah, it's, it has really been the, the Uber model for, uh, for Amazon sellers is definitely not, not one to, uh, to go down. I don't think. Yeah. Yeah, I guess, um, $1.6 million a day, judging by the financials I saw, that's, you know, like back of the napkin math, 200,000 in losses a day. Oh, something like that. I, I'm just, I saw a snapshot of it and it was something like negative 15% net margins. So, that's rough. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because we don't do public math here. Uh, and well. so that's, that's kind of <laughs> nice to know. Uh, man, that's, that's just insane. I, I hope that something, I don't know. I hope someone dives a lot deeper. Chris Potter did a great job and I'll share the, uh, I'll share that Twitter thread in the, in the notes of this episode, because it was really, really interesting. But I do hope that someone like dives super deep on that, because I think there's going to be a lot of lessons that can be taken away. Uh, I would imagine a, a book full, uh, if, if nothing else could come out of this. Uh, so yeah, interesting, interesting story. So what, right. my Let's, question, one last question before we, we change topics is, is there opportunity here? You know, that, that's what, what do we do now with listings that, you know, either 
scared us away because pharma packs was on it but you know or do we do we target you know it, do we do we go through our our, our old asins and, and and you know try to find ones that weren't a replend because pharma packs was was hovering or is there opportunity here you know that's a good question you know what i'd like to see is i'd like to see someone and this sounds like a big job uh but I'd love to see someone go and grab all the ASINs that PharmaPax is on uh, and, and track them over the next, I don't know, 90 days and see what kind of trend happens to the prices. You know, do they, do they stay where they are? I mean, how deep are they? I know they're going to be liquidating. Uh, so are prices going to drop even more precipitously in the short term and then kind of go back up? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm curious about that. I, I will say that I've already been to pharmapacks.com just to see if they're running sales yet. Uh, but then I read, you know, I read the, uh, the stuff that maybe some of their items are gray market and I didn't want to figure I'd probably better not mess with that kind of stuff. So I, I went ahead and closed that tab. But I think there will probably be some opportunity here once they finally get liquidated. I would imagine in the short term, though, uh, they turn a fire sale on just to get as much cash as they can, maybe. Right. So you're saying don't go on and try and buy them out of some listings and then, you know, pharma packs to Amazon, flip it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't think I would, I would do that. Uh, and I, I will admit probably... I've, I've done that on, it was one item where I was actually able to buy from them i don't i i'm it was something that was available at retail i'm hesitant to say exactly what it was because my memory is foggy but at one point they were selling we were about the same price mm-hmm. and which was surprising because it's like it's just me and pharma packs on this listing but i'm actually turning a good profit it was a very fast moving item and there was only two of us it was like a sub 1000 in health and beauty or something absolutely like one of my best finds and or sorry beauty and personal care um but then when they when they dropped it low i ended up buying whatever amount they had left it wasn't astronomical it was a lower priced item and then just sending that back in which now i feel bad that you mentioned the gray market it seemed authentic i don't i don't know yeah i'm i'm Not sure expired. it was probably <laughs> fine yeah yeah i'm probably. sure it was probably fine I will admit that I may have done that once or twice in the past when other people's repricers or if they were manually repricing weren't necessarily playing nicely. Um, that was, it's been a while though. Uh, and probably at a time when maybe Amazon was a little bit more lax in you know, getting reinstated with those kind of, of invoices. <laughs> uh, but yeah, today I, to, and I, I learned that from, from some other people who had, done kind of the similar things in in q4 bought like uh maybe 800 toys from one seller at a very very discounted rate and then <laughs> flipped them back on amazon when their repricer wasn't playing nice uh so but yeah all right uh let's let's jump into the questions uh for tonight so first thing of course uh how'd you get started on amazon tell us a little bit about your your background and uh, and what brought you over to uh, selling on the internet? Yeah, well, so it kind of started. Um, I 
with one other person started a an automate an automotive wholesale company like we were manufacturers but it was really just fancy private label in the automotive mm -hmm. industry and that happened when i got laid off of my job my company got sued and they closed down it was like a family feud that was back in 2016 and back in 2016 it was a little easier to get on amazon and get going it's more like ebay in the the seller account setup process right just streamlined no interviews and so i uh, discovered that I could sell used DVDs on Amazon and turn a decent profit for stuff that I found at the thrift store. So I opened a seller account. I maybe did a total of like 200 bucks in sales, like over two or three months, right? It was really small time. But um, that's important because later on down the road, the seller account never became uh, deactive or unactive. It, it, I, I don't even think they suspended me for inactivity, which is very unusual because I hear that that happens to people. But um, come April 2020, I had been I sold that company and I had been working in the automotive industry in a different sector. And um, my boss, who had had acute leukemia, was in chemo. I ran half of the company while he was completely incapacitated. Well, he kind of like wakes up and comes out of his fog, went into remission, thankfully, um, and then comes back. And when he's kind of like resurfacing to the world, everything's in lockdown and there's this virus thing and everybody's shutting down and we're going to flatten the curve. Right. And he um, his first week back, he called me and he said, hey, I'm going to let you go. <laughs> and then he 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 canned me. Um, so here I am. It's, uh, it's April, 2020. Nobody knows what's going on. I've got, at this time I had four kids to support. My wife didn't work. Um, she was a nurse, but obviously she stays home, supports the kids, helps raise them. And, um, and so I'm like, okay, what am I going to do? So I didn't panic. I stuck to my plan. I just started hitting the job boards, looking for, uh, jobs, uh, it was difficult because the automotive industry was very uncertain. Nobody was hiring because are people going to drive? Like nobody was driving. Nobody was going anywhere. Everything was closed. So the auto industry kind of came to a halt and I was involved in selling replacement parts. So if people aren't driving, they're not replacing parts, you know, companies are thinking about this. So that was a dead end. Um, I applied to 130 jobs over a period of about two months, had a handful of interviews I had one offer that I ended up not thinking the company was a good choice, but by this time uh, I didn't have a severance from my company. So the savings are dwindling. I've got maybe 30 days left of, of, of uh, expenses saved with zero income coming in. And I said, okay, the job thing, it's not, I have to figure out something else. Like if I apply for jobs, if I apply for another 60 jobs over the next 30 days and I don't get any, then now I'm in the hole, right? So uh, at this time, I, I had been on Twitter kind of lurking, uh, very interested in starting a business, but just kind of your regular nine to fiver where I couldn't find that motivation after five o'clock to actually learn and invest. And, uh, but I had been on Twitter and so I'm like, okay, there are people, I've seen them. They're making money on the internet somehow. I have to go find them. And I came across this guy named Joe Hart. 
Do you have you do you know who Joe Hart is? The name doesn't sound familiar. Okay, so Joe Hart at around the same time, I think it was March 2020, um, he's a gymnastics coach. That that was his profession. But he for a long time had been flipping stuff on eBay. And when the lockdown started, he he observed that people were making obscene amounts of money selling like hand sanitizer on eBay and, and uh, dumbbells and things like that. And so he said, Hey, this is really interesting. I should find a way to share this. And he started a group called products for profit. Kind of your, I, he might've been one of the first like leads groups out there. And it started in a telegram chat and, and it was just people like sharing back and forth. And um, I had bought, his he had a course on flipping for like 25 bucks and as an upsell you know you can join the group 50 bucks a month and you have to remember I, I like to remind people or put it in context that i've got a month of living expenses left i'm not like spending 25 dollars on a course or 50 dollars a month on a group at the time was overwhelming to me mm -hmm. it was kind of paralyzing because i'm like what if this doesn't work like i just blew 50 bucks you know but I thought, uh, I'll make it work. Like, what, what else am I going to do? If I spend it now, it's just maybe uh, one day sooner that I run out of money and, as opposed to just waiting and doing nothing. So I got in and quickly I saw that um, there was an opportunity here. So I, I took $500 of cash and I said, I'm just going to try and turn it into, you know, 800, 1,000. And... And then that's the start. I kind of just started at step one and I, I just said, I'll take it a day at a time. Going back to the automotive business, and I'm almost done with the story. Um, I noticed that this is when my mind kind of started to see differently, like outside of the nine to five, because the automotive business that I, I worked in, we would buy items from China that literally every, like if you go to the automotive store, and you need a sensor part for your car. And there's five different brands ranging anywhere from $90 to $350. There's a really good chance that almost all of those are the exact same part coming out of the exact same factory. And it's just a different brand. And I know because the like literally the number one name brand sensor on the market for XYZ model, we would buy the exact same part from the exact same factory and put our brand on it. And that's how we had done that. So buy from China, put our brand on it, sell it to distribution and try and offer like a unique edge where we have more part numbers than everybody or we have these part numbers they don't have or whatnot. So I saw that arbitrage, it was kind of the same basic skeleton with a different skin around it. And I wondered if I could take my little bit of capital and turn it into a lot of capital by doing the same things that I did um, to bootstrap the automotive business, which we went from zero to, I think, two million a year in two years. In, um, and, and I just said, what if I tried to replicate this by, by taking the same principles, like distilling them down and, uh, and doing it in this new setting? And long story short, that's kind of what I did. I didn't hit 2 million, but I'm on track for a million this year in revenue. So um, it's close and it's a lot less work than the automotive. So 
Interesting. So I, I've got a couple of questions out of that story. Now, number one, <clears throat> your boss seems kind of like a dick. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I know he had leukemia and stuff like that, but that was kind of a kind of a jerky move. But did, did he explain why he was canning you, uh, you know, after you had handled the business while he was sick? He didn't. And I will probably never know. So here's, let me tell you something about this guy. And I don't want to, I mean, a lot of, I am, I don't know if I was ever mad at him, but I'm not now. And there's a couple of reasons that job probably is the reason that I'm uh, as successful as I am now, mm -hmm. because this guy, I'm a really emotional person and I, my nature is I would tend to make decisions based on like a feeling or this or that. And this guy was like math to the core. And he, if we had to make a decision, we wouldn't like draw a T chart and pro and con it. We would do the math. And if the math was whatever the math said, we did. So if it was profitable, we did it. And if it wasn't profitable, we didn't do it. And that's a really, it sounds like, oh, well, that's obvious, but it's crazy how many people don't do that. So, so now just as, as a practical example on Amazon, sometimes very rarely, but it does happen. I'll have an item where somebody's come on the listing at like four bucks, right? And well, I bought the item for 10. It was, it was selling for 21 when I, when I sourced it and somebody's selling it for four. And I think the, the, the knee-jerk reaction might be to just undercut and try and sell out. But then you're paying more in FBA fees than you're actually getting back capital-wise. So it's even more of a net loss. It's actually less money to like liquidate it or just have Amazon dispose of it. But that's not... And, and that may be obvious to some people, but it wouldn't have been to me. I would have been like, oh, I got to sell this. I got to get some money back. But when you look at the actual numbers undercutting and just trying to get rid of it, although it's kind of superficially satisfying, makes the least amount of sense. Mm -hmm. And so thinking, I didn't automatically change into an unemotional person that just thinks in numbers, but it's a great compliment to my emotional side where I can actually, I don't panic and I just say, well, I'll just do the math or I'll think about it very like linearly. And, um, and on that note, like he was, he was a sensible person. So when he had to fire me, I'm assuming that there was a reason. And when you fire somebody, it can be very emotional, especially you're firing somebody with a family, you're their livelihood, you're the income you pay them. And so the way he, the way he does things is just business. And, uh, and so I, I can respect that because honestly, I think about, I mean, there's a lot of things that he taught me over the period of my time there that have really helped me in life and in business. So, and honestly, it was kind of the best thing that ever happened to me. Like I make way more now. I work for myself. It's, uh, you know, it was all good in the end, but he, he would come across the way that you said. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, that's good. I, I'm, I'm glad you were able to go away from it that way because I don't think a lot of people would be able to. Yeah, I, I mean, it's hard because, you know, 
I, yeah, it's, it's hard. It's an emotional thing. I mean, at the time it happened, I was kind of, my wife said, who gets fired on a Tuesday? You know, I call, <laughs> I said, Hey, I call, I like might've texted my wife. Cause I might've still been on the phone, like out in my home office, you know, I was a telecommuter. Um, but I said, Hey, I just want to let you know before, before anything else, I'm getting let go right now. And the first thing she says is who gets fired on a Tuesday. <laughs> and so she, I think she wanted me to feel like, uh, it's okay. We'll get through this. Like, don't panic. Don't freak out. I'm here for you. You know, that kind of supportive, but deep down inside, I was kind of like struggling not to panic because that's, it's like, oh, you get fired on any other Tuesday, but this was Tuesday of April of 2020. Like it was a different Tuesday, you know? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, that was hard, but but I think that around that time, because I was forced to, I had to adopt this mindset of uh, like bad things will happen to you or unexpected things. And the most successful people I've ever observed in business or in life or whatever, they never really get into the victim spiral of like, well, this happened. Like I could be the guy that got another job and I could just be at like the bar talking for years about how this jerk let me go in the middle of the pandemic, you know, but that doesn't you know, that, that, that just wouldn't do anything <laughs> except for maybe make me feel good and self-pity. So the thing is, okay, well, what can I do to, what can I do? Like, I couldn't make him not fire me. I couldn't make everything be open and operating as normal, but what can I do? And so now, um, pharma pack comes on my listing. Nah, I can't control that, but what can I control? Like how, is this going to better, how is this going to make me more resilient or more anti-fragile? How can I improve from, like, this is an input. Can it make, can it actually make me more robust? That's, that's a, that's a really great way to look at it. Uh, one are, do you read any Stoic, Stoic philosophy at all? Any Ryan Holiday or anything? <laughs> I was just going to um, say that. Well, I, I think a lot of people would say Ryan Holiday is not Stoic philosophy, but uh, I do have like a multi-thousand volume library and I've filled it with literally every genre, all the classics. And I like to go, in, I mean, sometimes I'll read a full book through, but I like to go in and dabble and just um, lightly peruse, like take a book, read, read some of it. I mean, I've read, uh, I've read hundreds of books in the last decade and um, th there was some of that sprinkled in, I'm sure. Okay. Perfect. The obstacle is uh, the way is is one of my favorites, just for the way he took some of those principles and um, added storytelling. And mm -hmm. there's a lot. I used to make mental palaces, uh, memory palaces of the books I read, and that was one of the first where I actually every principle had a room. I can still see the pictures um, that I made. So that the, there may be something there. I made of like I may have made that a part of my thinking. Some of the principles from that. Interesting. This is the second episode in a row where memory palaces has come up, by the way. So I <laughs> that's appreciate unusual. That. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So we kind of talked about kind of where the where your light bulb moment was. So as as your business has evolved, uh, what kind of you know, strategies and sourcing methods have you kind of put into place that have worked out really well for you? Well, strategy wise for my business, uh, and I, 
I started doing this really early, but I developed it to where it should be too late. And that was creating everything into a system, every part of my business, not only documenting it so that it can be replicated, should I add to my team, which now I have, but actually doing the hard work of sitting aside for two hours and saying, okay, what are the universal things that make this process work? Whether it's sourcing and you have criteria or you have um, the way that you find where to source or whatever it is. And then um, how are those things recorded? How are they purchased? Where do they go? What happens when they get there? So on. So creating systems, because now um, I enjoy working. I have pet projects that I'm kind of working on because the Amazon business mostly runs by itself now. I've kind of made myself the CEO. And then I have people that do uh, the jobs that are, we would call it a, a lower hourly rate. Um, that could be taught to anybody and creating systems was really important for that. But I love to source. I mean, that it feels like, uh, because I've got a really great mind in the sense that I remember like everything and I, just the tiniest details, I soak up trivial facts, like a sponge and, you know, prices and images are kind of like trivial facts, uh, which helped me a lot in the early days when I was doing a lot of retail arbitrage. Um, I would notice patterns. I would notice trends because I could remember uh, those things that I saw from like four stores ago and, uh, or I would see something in the news or I would connect the dots. And so um, systems uh, is what I've kind of built my business around because I really want to own a business, not just a job. Sourcing methods. Uh, I really like tinkering with what I call a sandbox of toys. So I like to have a lot of gadgets. I like to have a lot of tools and I like to go into the sandbox and just kind of play with whatever I want and, you know, try different combinations like Keepa and Tactical Arbitrage. Shout out Chris Grant. And, um, and uh, so I, I kind of just dabble. I mean, some of my favorite ways to source are probably storefront stalking. And I really like... Um, using the Keepa product finder with tactical arbitrage as well. Uh, what I started doing in line with copying that automotive wholesale model was um, the way wholesale businesses generally work is you've got like this huge catalog of products that you, that exist in your database. And when something sells out on Amazon, you go back into your catalog and you buy the appropriate amount for the next sales period, whether it be a month or three months. And then uh, you just do that over and over and over again. And you grow in volume and you grow your catalog. So what I started doing is I started tracking, or I guess I started recording every lead I've ever found, every lead any of my VAs ever found, every lead I've ever gotten from a leads group or a leads list, and put it in a an electronic searchable catalog. So now when I go through sales gazer, or I go through my email and I see, Oh, Vitacost is having a sale. I go to my catalog. I punch in Vitacost and I see every item that I've ever sourced from Vitacost or that I've ever come across from Vitacost. And I think at this point there's like six or 700 and I just go through them one by one. And I buy all of the ones that have, 
that are either profitable now or have performed well in the past for me or both usually. And, uh, and so my rationale with that is Vitacost, let's just say they have 10,000 products. And if you're somebody saying, oh, Vitacost is having a sale, I'm going to go on and I'm going to source products. And if they're really gung-ho, they might get through and maybe they're cherry picking based on what they think per will perform well, right? They might get through a few hundred, a thousand, you know, in a period before they just get burnt out, 1500, something like that. Well, me, I have over time or my team has gone through multiple thousands over every sale and the good ones are already picked out. So in the same amount of time, somebody can source a small percentage of what's available. I can go in and just repurchase a highly curated list of what I know is the highest likelihood of being profitable, which usually is if there's a site-wide coupon or something, I love that stuff. And that's when I spend like as much capital as I can in a short period of time because um, supply and demand, if the sale is short, I want to deploy as much capital as I can because the supply at that price is limited to whoever can get to it and buy it or buy them out. Um, and that's when I go deep and try and buy multiple months worth so that anybody who did find it during that sale and wants to get rid of it quickly or undercut price, I'm still standing when there hasn't been a sale for a month and they're all sold out. And that's when my ROI gets higher. So, Hey guys, wanted to take a quick second and thank you for listening to the Clear the Shelf podcast. My magnanimous co-host Chris Rasick has put together a gift for you for being a listener. It's called the Monthly Goal Tracking Spreadsheet and it's free. The spreadsheet will help you break down and track how much you've purchased, which should be a leading indicator of how much you will sell. And then you'll be able to track how much you've sold as well as your estimated monthly profit on a daily basis. This will all feed into the daily averages so you can ensure that you're on track to meet your goals each and every month. Grab it for free today over at cleartheshelf.com forward slash goal dash tracking. Thanks again for being a listener. Now back to the show. Nice. That system now, that you use, is, is that something that you built yourself or? It is not. So I started to explore how could I develop a software, but the folks over at Cheddarsoft uh, developed one first. And or OA Cheddar, as most people know. So I'm a proud user of Cheddarsoft. I love, uh, I mean, very, very multifunctional tool. I only use it for the catalog because I use a prep center. So I don't use the order reconciliation feature that they have, but very impressed with their work uh, with uh, on the data side. Yeah, that is a pretty strong tool. Um, I have a question. Uh, so, all right, so you were down to 30 days worth of expenses left. Right. And, and so you, you know, you you put the pieces together, you figured this out, you know, you saw the potential. Uh, however, you, you're a, a family of six, he said at the time, how did you, how big of a challenge was scaling and, and how did you overcome that? Yeah, that was the worst part. And I always tell people, if you have a nine to five, just keep it and grow your business because the for probably a year i just remember working mostly 12 13 14 hour days almost every day of the week doing retail arbitrage and uh, online arbitrage was still a little intimidating to me uh at the beginning but um retail was 
you know, during the shortages and I would drive a lot and just load the van up with whatever I found that was good. A lot of scanning, a lot of research. Um, what saved me in the beginning was the dumbbells. So I, uh, I started by going to thrift stores and I'm just kind of dabbling like, like, ah, oh, this looks interesting. That looks interesting. You know, found a couple of decent items at thrift stores, but I was like, okay, this is, there's not enough thrift stores. There's not enough stuff. Like this would take forever. Uh, to this day, I don't like clothing. I still don't know like what's a good brand and what's the hotline. And some people are really good at that. Like the Patagonia bin divers, you know, I don't know anything about that stuff. So I said, I need something else. And that was about when products for profit came, came into play. I like, I'd watched the flipping course and then going to the thrift stores. It's like, okay, I need something else. Ah, join the group. There might be something there that I can multiply. And, uh, man, I would, so, so I had a, at the time I had a 2000, maybe it was a 2008 Honda Odyssey and I put all the seats down and, um, I figured out, so I'm in, I'm in the panhandle of Florida and between where I'm at, which is almost Alabama and Jacksonville, there's just a whole bunch of like, kind of nothing. You know, there's Tallahassee, but then there's all these little tiny beach cities and uh, little more country rural areas. And so I found that there was this little town about two hours from me. And everybody in this tiny town that already owned weights probably owned them already. Like it, that anybody that wanted weights already had some. They didn't need to go buy the store out because, you know, gyms were closed. So weights were commanding a premium. And for anybody who doesn't know, uh, you could take like two 15, I think 15 and 20 were the golden 15 was, mm. you could take two 15 pound dumbbells and put them in a flat rate medium box. And uh, I guess it was probably 12 bucks. So you buy uh, two 15 pounders. They're about a dollar a pound. That's 30 bucks. It's about 12 bucks to ship. You could sell those puppies for like a hundred dollars on eBay. And I mean, if you listed, if you listed 30 pairs, you'd wake up the next morning and they'd all be sold. So I got, got my workout in hauling weights to the post office every day. And when you're turning capital at like a hundred percent ROI, it snowballs really fast. So I milked that as long as I could. And, um, I live next to a base and the base at the time, the military people, this is a base of thousands of people. And a lot of them really liked to work out. And they were letting like 12 people at a time into the gym because of the, the distance, uh, you know, six feet or whatever. So they were like, I have to lift weights. So when I found the big boys, like the 40, 50, 60 pound dumbbells, they would pay like 200 bucks a piece for these things and they would drive to my house and pick them up. I was like the local dealer, man. So, um, so that if I had to do it again today, it would be way harder to multiply that income because that was really a unique time. And I'm fortunate to have been let go, like right in the heat of it, because there was a lot of opportunity there that doesn't, uh, it's not as easy to come by now. Um, but it, it's continued to be difficult because every milestone, like I got to, okay, got to pay the mortgage, got to pay the light bill, got to, um, 
you got to go to the grocery store. I have four boys. They eat a ton. Uh, it's a lot of food. So, um, so scaling was always a challenge. Uh, but I mean, again, it was one of those things. I don't have a choice but to do it this way. So I've just got to figure, I just got to be smart and figure out how to move the money faster. I don't know. I mean, how, if you're asking, how did I scale? Like, I have no idea. I, <laughs> I just try one thing. Does it work? Uh, tweak. Does it work better? Tweak. And, and just continue to grow as, as fast, but as uh, sustainably as I could. Yeah. I didn't, when it's, uh, you know, when it's kind of so urgent, you know, in situations like that, you know, the, it, waiting for the, the capital to come back to, to buy another round of inventory can, can be a challenge, but you're right. The dumbbell game was, was really hot. <laughs> I've got, yeah. And when eBay got pays a few you in my garage, <laughs> when eBay pays you the next day, right. You know, that was that, that kept the capital like off the credit cards and just flowing through the bank account. Yeah. Um, and when I got started on Amazon, it was, it was more comfortable. You know, I, the reserve didn't bother me as much because I had eBay was still strong. I did from, from when I started in May ish, May, June, July, um, to December, I did 150,000 on eBay in the first year. Wow. And I started getting into Amazon, I think it was like August, July, August. I said, okay, eBay's great, but I know this isn't going to last forever. I need to go to a place where a system can be built, where it's more sustainable, where volume won't crush me because I'm still saran wrapping like flat rate boxes with dumbbells in them. And, um, and so one of my biggest uh, graces was starting Amazon early, starting to ungate early and kind of learn the dynamics of Keepa and what went into selling on Amazon. Interesting. <clears throat> That's, I mean, it is kind of, it was kind of a nice time to, to have to figure all this stuff out at least. It was the uh, best of times. It was the worst of times. <laughs> right. Uh, so I guess something I'm curious about now, now that kind of where you are, is uh, what's a what's one of the biggest challenges you're facing currently, and how are you tackling that? Well, um, one of the so an ongoing challenge for me is how do I take what I know and put it in if if you will an employee manual so that somebody else can read it and have enough knowledge from me in order to do the job that i want them to do and uh it never the challenge is always great because you're kind of there's you can't google like how to how to teach somebody to purchase for your arbitrage business because it's got all these variables so hiring a purchaser was a huge challenge because they have to be really good at Keepa, and they have to be able to purchase probably from a foreign country using my uh, some form of payment that is coming from the U.S. that's not getting canceled or not getting flagged for fraud every five minutes, and they have to know this is this is what we want to buy, this is what we don't, and this is how many we buy, 
with like a ton of variables that usually come from Keepa and telling myself, okay, you know, they're obviously like a lot of hands-on training, but also how do I distill everything that I know that I've gotten from two years of just doing it into the basics so that I'm not just like talking to them? How do I give, what are the bullet points? And like emotional person talks a lot, kind of tends to complicate things. That's always been a challenge for me. And I think a lot of people tend to make things more complicated than they are anyway. Like it, it's, it's like, um, I always think of Elon Musk and uh, love him or hate him. He wanted to start a rocket company and go to space. And he's like, okay, it costs how many million to buy a rocket? Like that doesn't make sense because a, a rocket's made up of this substance and this substance and those things are really cheap. And so he, he, he dumbed it down. So dumbing it down uh, is always a challenge for me, but you know, you can't give somebody the whole context of your thoughts and your experience. You have to be able to put it into the principles and doing that and conveying it to a team um, to teach them how to source well or to teach them how to purchase uh, or to handle account health or whatever it may be. That's um, one of the biggest challenges of, of separating myself from the business so that it can run uh, and continue to grow in a leveraged way, you know, adding more people on. Um, I mean, obviously I'm not adding, I'm not, I don't want to be PharmaPax, um, but the, just, just handing off like customer service or whatever it is and, and having it done in a quality way. And the way that I, I mean, this is the way I solve it. I've got a huge whiteboard next to me. I might write down like everything that's on my mind so that I can start erasing or condensing or combining uh, or saying, hmm, that doesn't, like if I were somebody else, I don't know if that would make sense. Maybe I should try and say it a different way. And um, oh, there's something else that I was thinking of. Oh, I, so I put it all on the whiteboard and then I ruminate on it for like weeks. And it's just always kind of humming in the back of my mind, like a static radio. And, uh, I'm in the shower. I'm like laying next to my wife at night and she's probably, you know, like the meme, like I bet he's thinking about other women. And I'm like, <laughs> how do I get her to buy, uh, only this many of this product instead of, you know, like, you know, how do I get the purchaser to understand this is where we look at the, um, whatever it may be. Right. So, um, yeah, I kind of, I kind of rambled on there, but that's, that's always in the back of my mind. How do I, how do I create like the handbook or the system where everything is clear and you can come in off the street and you can be like, Oh, these are all the pieces of the arbitrage business. And then you go into that piece. So maybe there are like three main pieces and you go in there and then there's five main pieces within that. And it's how to do everything compartmentalized. Once you get that all figured out, you ought to franchise it. See, that's, I mean, really. it, it was on my mind. It was like, hey, you know, I wonder how much somebody would pay for my notion. Because mm -hmm. it's, I mean, if I do... Like if we're going by EBITDA and 
my net margins and my revenue, that's probably pretty valuable. You know, it's, everything's there. But I don't know if I'm ready to release that into the world just yet. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, it, just yesterday. I found a great quote um, that I related to business that from a, a, a source that I wouldn't expect. Um, but Woody Guthrie, of all people, um, he said, any fool can make something complicated. It takes a genius to make it simple. It's true. I, I just found that yesterday. That's uh, and that fits right in. You know, it's yeah. yeah, it's it's an underrated quality to be able to simplify something and 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 make it easy to understand and, and you know bite sized chunks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, another thing I can I can thank my old boss for he that I mean he just the way he thought fascinated me. He was kind of like Monk, you know Monk. <laughs> he was a little yeah, bit I... of a freak mentally, <clears throat> and I just. Like at every meeting, I was asking the question. I mean, the way I communicate with people with my team, simple language, um, or if or just uh, one of the greatest things, and this helps me in my marriage, I, like just communication with anybody. Uh, if somebody says something to me and I don't understand it, I just say, I don't understand what you mean. Could you try and say it in a different way? And... Or if I'm talking to somebody, the way that I communicate was vastly different after I left because I used to talk from the way I feel and use language. Uh, I mean, I still do that. I can't change me. But if I'm talking to somebody that works for me or that I work with or that um, or my wife, I'm instead of using language and that has like a lot of my emotion in it. I'm using basic language because I'm, I'm not really, I don't really want to convey my emotion. I just want to convey a fact. And so when you convey a fact in a simple term that doesn't have like a weird thought that is unique to you, they're more likely to understand it. And then if you think that they don't understand, you could just say, does that make sense? Or should I say it a different way? So I do that when I'm talking and then when somebody else is talking, uh, I'm not sure what you mean. Could you say it a different way so I can try and understand? And just being more, uh, it's made me more curt uh, in a way because if I get like a telemarketing call, I'm not going to sit there and talk to him. I'm just be like, look, I'm not interested by, <laughs> you know, I used to not be like that. Like I wanted to be polite, but now I it's like communication, not going to waste your time. You're not going to waste mine. I want us to communicate clearly. Um, and, and simplification that's, it's like a lifelong art. Yeah, I, hopefully we can all get on Feynman's level one of these days because it would, it would probably make make teaching uh, you know this kind of stuff a heck of a lot easier. Um, so I've got an idea of of what I think your answer is going to be, but this is something we've asked in the past that's been been kind of popular. But in your opinion, uh, what's what's a really important personality trait or strength? Uh, that people need to be able to kind of be successful in, you know, on Amazon. Just one. Oh, you can go as 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 far as you want with this. I think the dream team is. I, I really think one of the most important things is curiosity. And, and I think the same thing maybe like the the cousin of curiosity is not assuming that you know something because you don't so if i see uh it, like earlier today i was on tactical arbitrage 
then I was doing a scan on a store and I saw this product. I was like, Hey, that's a great profit. Let me see if that's the real deal. And I do it. And I'm just like, this is insane. Like, this is really a crazy thing, but I don't just stop it. Um, okay. I found a product and it's profitable at this store. Now I'm seeing, well, if it's at this store, it turns out it's not available for shipping, right? It's an in-store only like, okay. So now we've got something because there's a limited supply. Our other stores sell, is just this store out of stock or is everybody out of stock? So I find five or six other retailers, they're all out of stock. Thinking, okay, now we've really got something. So now we've got a product. There's a good chance I've got a lot of local supply. One step further would be, what if this is discontinued? Because if it's just out of stock for a little while, that might be a day trip to every retailer in my area, scoop up all the supply, make a few bucks. Uh, if it's discontinued, which maybe I email the company and I say, Hey, I'm like, I can't find this product anywhere. Everybody's out of stock. Do you guys still make this? No, sir. Sorry. We discontinued it. Now it's like my mission to go everywhere and get all of it because you know, if it's discontinued, like I gotta have, I gotta have my product. It's not at Target. It's not at Walmart. It's not at Ulta. It's not, you know, like, how am I going to moisturize my feet? or something, whatever, like people get really hooked. I mean, I do, I, I want the products that I use that I'm accustomed to. I'm a creature of habit. So now it's like, all right, are there distributors who might have like the last supply of this? Is there a pallet sitting somewhere? You know, I'm just going in all these different directions and it's all because I'm curious. Um, am I going to take this now? I'm complicating it because now it's profitable to complicate it. I want to see how many different directions I can go in and how complicated I can make it to find the thing that nobody else is going to think of. So yeah, curiosity. And I don't like the term open-mindedness for some reason, but just um, always like, I mean, it's just, you're, it's a common thing to be like, oh, well, it's probably not anything, but, but like, I don't know that. How, how can you know unless you go look at it? And if you go look at it, you might waste five or 10 minutes, or you might find something that is worth uh, a $3,000 payday. Mm -hmm. Nice. I like that. I don't think we've had that, have that answer yet. Um, what time of day do you get your best work done? Between four and 6 AM. Ooh, early bird. Okay. That's like a whole work day in <clears throat> productivity. There's something about it. If I'm up sometimes, three three thirty if i get up i can be done by by eight and just like the day is done there's something i become superman and that <laughs> is is that something that took training or is that just the way that you're wired i think it's the way that i'm wired okay. because for some reason being up early maybe it's the fact that there's no chance like a kid is going to come ask me for a banana or something, you know, like I know that I'm alone and separated from my family. And I know that in a, in a weird kind of way, like I'm separated from most people, like most people are asleep in the world and I'm, it's just pure focus. There's no, nobody's tweeting in America. Um, there's no news. The stock market isn't open. Um, Amazon really isn't even going yet. Like there's nothing for me to check or look at. There's just me and whatever I'm working on. And 
the birds aren't chirping yet. It's just like the most still quiet part of the day. Mm-hmm. And there's something kind of special about, I, I feel really alone in like a good way. Mm-hmm. And it just feels like this enchanted time. I like it. I, now I got to ask since we're, since, you know, we're recording this at, you know, 1030 at night, how much sleep do you get? Uh, tonight, not much. <laughs> okay. I mean, I'm my, my best, if the kids can just go to sleep, then I can, I feel really good getting into bed with a book, like around 8.45, 9 my time, which I'm on central time. Um, reading fiction for 30 minutes and then, and then going to sleep and I feel really refreshed when I wake up. Uh, I, I just, at night, I've never worked well at night. Like sometimes I push through it. Sometimes I'm out here sourcing it this time because I just like, I feel it. I'm like in the zone. I got to go. I got to find stuff. Um, I, I, I'm probably not performing as well as if I just closed everything and went to bed and woke up and did it. Um, but you know, I'm probably like a six or seven hour a night guy. If I sleep too much, I feel really groggy and lazy. Yeah, that's fair. I know everybody thinks that they, they, I've heard that everybody thinks they need less sleep than they actually do. Mm-hmm. But because I've, I used to be into like biohacking and testing all sorts of different things and taking ice baths and all this crazy stuff. And um, I've, I've tried sleeping so many different like combinations of hours and bedtimes and wake ups that I really believe I'm, I'm like, like seven might be the sweet spot. I don't know where that is on normal. It seems pretty normal to me, but yeah. earlier bedtime, earlier wake up, kind of a morning. What am I? A lark? Is that, is it in there an animal thing? Yeah. Something morning like lark. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. So. Yeah. Very good. So, and we, now we've talked about, you talked about the sandbox. So I want to go back to that a little bit. Uh, and you're a tool guy. So what does your Amazon tech stack look like? And yeah, let's, let's go there first. And then I've got a follow up for that. Okay. So uh, the, the non-negotiable essentials are, I use ASINs in, uh, for my calculator extension and I use Keepa. Mm-hmm. So at, at its core, I always feel good just going back to basics and do regular manual sourcing using the calculator app, using Keepa. Um, as far as like other accoutrements, I like tactical arbitrage. I love tactical bucket. I love using the multi-store bulk list. Um, Derek Lee hooked me up with ASIN gadget, which is really mm-hmm. fun for kind of the, the twist on storefront stocking where you can just export all the ASINs from all the sellers on that listing. And uh, I find I have a lot of fun with that. Um, and I also have, uh, I think I mentioned it to you a few months ago, Seller Spy, which mm-hmm. monitors storefronts for replenishable items as soon as they hit. <clears throat> and that one is, um, that one's really interesting because it's kind of storefront stocking with a bolt-on supercharger attached, if you will. And, uh, and uh, that and... Oh, Cheddarsoft, of course. That's that's pretty much. Um, I, I've I used to try a lot of things like eBay to Amazon flips, Flipmine. You know, I'd try a bunch of tools and 
I kind of, eh, like, I don't love it. I like it, but I don't love it. But everything I just mentioned is kind of, I wouldn't want to get rid of any of it. Oh, I forgot to mention something. I still use your BrickSeek extension. Oh, do you? Yeah. So every once in a while on Tactical Arbitrage, you'll get a result. It'll come up. It's third party only, or it's out of stock. And of course, supply and demand, one of the advantages, if there's no supply online, but there's supply in store, that could be a huge advantage because you're, you've got the geographical benefit. And so just one click and check stock. And, uh, you know, that might be another, another store trip if you can clean them out. Yeah. I like, I like that one as well. Uh, I, I think I know what your answer is going to be, but out of all the tools that you mentioned, which one is the, is the most important? I, well, it's gotta be Keepa. Yeah. I mean, who, if, if you did, they're, I mean, they're the goat. Keepa and the calculator, any calculator extension that you use. I mean, I, I've heard of people that they don't use Keepa. They just buy and sell like the olden days, but it really feels like like a blind man trying to find a black cat in a dark room that isn't there, right? It's like you really, you don't know what you're looking for and you can't find it. You're just, because I mean, with di as dynamic as prices on Amazon, I can't imagine not using Keepa. Yeah. But I, if I had to use just one sourcing tool, I would probably be, it'd probably be tactical arbitrage. Just because if you can, if you can use it in a smart way, if you're smart with your filters, you can accomplish um, a week's worth of sourcing in an afternoon. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's your time. That's you're buying your time back. Yeah. How, uh, so let me, I'm, I'm curious on your, how deep you go when you start sourcing. Like I'm talking about like the first time you buy a product. Are you, are you going shallow and wide or if, if you're pretty sure about something, are you dropping some serious coin on it? Yeah, I'm, I've just, I've been burned so many times by the big inventory. Uh, I don't go deep anymore unless I really know, unless I'm like, this is the one. So I want some kind of assurance that supply isn't unlimited. Um, there have been a handful of times uh, I, usually it's when I go really deep, it's like Bed Bath & Beyond one time put a, a, a tumbler on sale. It was normally 40 bucks, but it was like 18 or 17 or something like that. And um, I bought 40, which um, I kind of wish I had bought more because 40 wasn't very deep, but I probably could have bought several hundred and Bed Bath & Beyond is generally okay. And they need the money, you know. So, <laughs> yeah, they do. Um, Especially with their main investor just pulling out. Exactly. So I would have loved to help them out. Uh, I, I'm a little concerned because of how many packages they ship. It's probably like a, a store by store thing. Um, it is. But, uh, but that was one. It's like I looked at it and I said, okay, I know this is worth being a little reckless with. Like Amazon not on the listing it's a doorbuster or something like that, or, you know, uh, Belk's doorbusters sometimes. One time I found a, a shower slide that was ranked like 600 in clothing. 
and there were there was nobody selling it. And I had to hmm. message a couple of people, be like, "Am I is, am I missing something here? Like, is this real? Is this? It's too good to be true." And I just I just kept buying and buying and buying. Like I would not. And finally, they started uh, canceling orders because they were out of stock. Because I guess I tried to buy out like the national belk supply. <laughs> um, and I I stayed on that listing until I sold out. I would keep raising the price, and they'd sell, raise the price more. They'd sell, raise the price more. They sell. So. Having seen a few of those, you kind of know when you find it, and and those are the ones where I'm I'm like, okay, I've got to I've got to throw some chips here. Most of the time, with my strategy, I want to buy because I'm kind of like the pie is growing mentality. I'm not mm-hmm. uh, I'm not the opportunity isn't shrinking; it's growing. I can always find another product. So to manage risk. Um, I like a two to three week supplies worth sales estimate supply. Uh, and then if it performs well, that's great. It's in my catalog and I can come across it again in a future sale. And if it doesn't, I've just reduced my potential loss or uh, it's easier to break even and sell out. And when I go back to buy it again, so anything that I buy from the catalog, I always look at my, I look at how it performs. And I look at the keep a chart from the time when I bought it to now, when I first bought it. And I saw, did a bunch of sellers pile on? What did the price do? And if it remained consistent, if I see more straight lines than ups and downs, that's when I go deep and I'll buy like three months, four months worth, uh, especially the makeup, the supplements, they like a two cents a month to store them. So if you're making 50, 60% ROI and it takes you six months to sell out, well, you're only sacrificing like 12 cents for the last item that you sell. And that's worth, again, holding the supply, holding the buy box, outlasting all the other sellers. Um, I like the, like use a little gunpowder to fire your little pellets and find your direction. And then when you know the direction, put all your gunpowder in the cannon. That's when you, you know, go for the, the big supply. I like it. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to have to steal one of, one of Chris's questions here. Uh, so you do some coaching, right? I, I, I'm pretty sure I've seen that on Twitter, right? Yeah, I have. Uh, I've had several dozen students over the past year or so. Um, I do it less now because I'm kind of, uh, you know, I, I worked a lot for two years and trying to give some more time back to the family. Um, but for me, kind of a people person, I, uh, I enjoy the interaction. I enjoy teaching people and seeing them succeed. Uh, it's not as much numbers on the screen. You know, it's a really fulfilling thing. Mm-hmm. What are, what's maybe the number one bad habit you've seen? that you try to coach out of those folks? Mm, that's a good question. Cause a lot of them have never sourced before. Uh, or they've never, you know, they're like brand, I don't have an Amazon account. What do I do? Um, but I will say, okay, I've got it. Cause this is human nature. Uh, it's not selling the losing stuff fast enough. Not cutting your losses and getting your capital back. I'm a big believer in in pharma packing the listing, if it's not, if, if you know, it's not a winner, 
if the seller count just keeps going up, just sell it and find something else. But we want, we're like, no, like I can't lose money. But by holding on to it and not losing money, you're losing more money because you don't have the money that you already lost. And you don't have the money that's just sitting in a warehouse somewhere. And the value is getting lower because the seller count keeps going up. So mm -hmm. it's, that's, I mean, you really have to like motivational coach people to, to understand that the better decision is to just liquidate because you can always find another product. Like you will find winners and you keep buying the winners over and over and liquidate the losers. Your profits will grow bigger over time. The snowball faster. It is amazing how difficult it is to get that across to folks. It seems it's, nobody wants I mean, to be the been, tanker. Yeah, nobody I get wants it. to do it. I, I don't care. <laughs> I also like how you turn pharma packs into a verb. I think that's going to be a thing from now on. So pharma packs them. Well, since there won't be a pharma packs, we're going to have to keep the legacy alive. That's right. Yeah, there are people uh, who are who are just starting their Amazon seller accounts now who will have no idea what pharma packing means missing out. So Man, it's like it's the crazy. walking, walking nine miles in the snow to school uphill both ways. <laughs> that's like the, our pharma packs is that story back in my day. Yeah. Back in my day. Right. So you talked about, uh, having a, a massive library, which to me, that's like, uh, I don't know. That's a, a great thing. So what is a book, a podcast, or a blog that you would absolutely recommend to, I mean, anybody on the street? Online Arbitrage by Chris Green. Okay. All right. I'll give you points for that, but that was, it doesn't have, it doesn't have tongue to be. And cheek. I know. Yeah. I know. I just, I thought I was like, well, I do have that book. Um, that's tough. There's so many books. Um, let's go, go with the next question. Let me, uh, let me let that marinate. Where, where can everybody find you online? What are the best places for, for people to be able to reach out, follow you, things like that? Um, the best, the best uh, place to find me online would be at Oliver Flips on Twitter. That's where I'm most active. If I have resources, if I have links or anything like that, I'm always letting my followers know on Twitter. And um, I also try and, you know, make people laugh with a meme here and there or uh, usually Amazon related. Um, and of course, I do some valuable threads and, and provide some free resources to people who follow there just to help people get started or sharpen their Amazon skills as well. Perfect. And I'll make sure, I'll make sure that's in the show notes as well. Awesome. Um, yeah. Uh, so here's one I sometimes like to ask people, but I, I am going to come back to the book one here in a moment. Uh, is there anything that you would have liked to have been asked if you were the one coming up with the questions. Man, I'm not sure. That's why I'm glad I didn't have to come up with the questions. <laughs> um, I mean, we kind of covered, you know, I, I, I tend to talk a lot and ramble. I, that's not a secret now. 
So I think if uh, if I needed to answer an unasked question, I probably did it in one of my my rabbit trails. <laughs> that's all right. That's what's that's what's great about podcasts. All right. Did I give you enough time to think about a book or a, or a podcast or a, a blog or anything like that? Yeah. So there are, there are a lot of books uh, that I've read and it's late. I just cannot come up with one that might be practically helpful, but the book that I've more universally recommended to anybody is actually a fiction book. And uh, I I think you should read for knowledge. I think you should read nonfiction, read The Great Minds. Um, but there's a book called Gentleman in Moscow by Amor Tolls. Yep. And this guy, it was like the first book he read. He worked on Wall Street or uh, first book he wrote. He worked on, I think it was Wall Street. And one day, I guess he woke up and he's like, I'm going to be an author. So he wrote this book and it is one of the most delightful I mean, if you've ever read any of the classics like Anna Karenina or um, these really like Charles Dickens, it's written in a different kind of language. It's really hard to digest. You really have to focus, in my opinion, to to see what's happening because it was written in a completely different time and for people who could hold their attention way better than we can now. And this book is like that in the sense that the vocabulary and the imagery was rich and, but it was so easy to read. And I had to stop myself from reading too much because I wanted to savor it. And it's, I think it might be, and I've read a lot. I used to never read fiction, only nonfiction, how to win friends and influence people, uh, richest man in Babylon, you know, all like the, the checklist of entrepreneur books. But I think my favorite, and I think fiction is important to relax your mind. It's very healthy. It's very beneficial to read and just imagine it in your mind instead of watching it on a screen. And this book made it so effortless to see these interesting and entertaining characters and this tapestry of stories that wove throughout this man's lifetime. Uh, I don't want to give too much away, but you know, this guy is basically sentenced to be confined to a hotel for his entire life. And it's like, wow, how can you, how can you write a book about 40 years in a hotel? And I think that's what makes it even more interesting was how well it was done. Um, so anybody who maybe doesn't enjoy fiction or hasn't found one they liked, uh, or just, you know, before you go to bed, I think reading fiction is really healthy um, to help relax your mind and get it off the day. Uh, I think there's probably some science about it somewhere, but uh, it helps me and a lot of people I know. So that's what I would do after you're done sourcing, pick up Gentleman in Moscow, give it a read. Perfect. That's wow. yeah, my out of, that's, out of the box answer. Yeah, no, I like that. Cause that's one I, I don't think I've heard of unless, unless maybe somewhere, you know, Tim Ferriss might've thrown that into some, some weekly email of his or something. Uh, but yeah, that one's that one's gonna be one I order. All right, uh, dude, thanks so much for for hanging out with us. I, I appreciate you. Uh, I I did promise we'd try to keep this as close to an hour, so I wanna wanna wrap it up. But uh, pretty good. Yeah, I, I I'm do not asleep on the desk. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, again, remember go uh, go follow uh, Joseph at Oliver Flips on Twitter. 
Uh, again, that'll be in the show notes. And uh, thanks so much, man. I appreciate you. And uh, for you guys listening out there, please make sure to smash the like button, rate and review the podcast. And uh, we'll be back next week with a uh, another episode to uh, help you out. All right. Take it easy, guys. See you. Thanks for listening to Clear the Shelf with Chris and Chris. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a screenshot on your phone and share to Facebook, Instagram, or your favorite FBA group. And be sure to tag me and let me know why you liked it and what you'd like to hear more from us in the future. Also, I'd like to give you some free gifts for listening. Head over to rabbittrailchallenge.com and repricerchallenge.com for some free courses to further your business. Thanks for listening.